I'm 16 years old. I'm in the hospital, and they tell me my name has been changed. Privacy reasons. I look to my dad, and he nods reassuringly. The next thing I know, I'm in a hospital gown, in a bed, in a private room, and I have an IV in my arm. I'm fidgety, and I start to panic. My dad gets a nurse, and she slides a needle into the tube that is connected to my arm, and soon I'm calm again. It's time. They wheel me away, and I'm lifted onto a surgical bed. My arms are spread out, reaching, palms up. I'm so cold. They give me a heavy blanket and tell me to start counting backwards from 100. 99, 98, the end. How do you forgive when the wound is still open? How do you leave a legacy of redemption instead of dysfunction? How do you trust God when your deepest fears are realized? Join me, Sarah May, along with some wise mentors along the way as we explore these and other messy heart topics and the strategies we can use to seek healing in the pain and restoration in the ruins. Welcome to the Complicated Heart Podcast. This month on the podcast, I'm going to talk about some things that we don't tend to talk about in church or polite company. (laughs) I feel compelled this month to do a series on abortion and teen pregnancy and post-abortion counseling and telling our kids about our abortion. I'm talking about it because sometimes the church doesn't, at least not in ways so many women may need to hear about it and know they aren't alone. I'm excited about this series because it is good and honest and real, and you don't have to put up walls or be afraid to listen. I remember tuning out to anything having to do with pro-life or pro-choice issues after my abortion. I just assumed I was quietly pro-choice. I remember in college in my apartment, a pro-life commercial coming on, and it made me mad, and I could not watch it. I remember another time my roommate was babysitting this precious little four or five-year-old little girl, and I just went into my room and cried, and I didn't even know why. If you've had an abortion, you maybe have experienced some of those things or other things in that vein. If that's you, I'm asking you to give this series a chance, just a chance, a chance that maybe if there's something locked up or unhealed in you, that maybe that healing could begin this month. I know that nearly one in four of you have had abortions, and most of you have never told anyone or talked about it. This series is a safe way to maybe start your own healing journey, stay on the one you're on, or just gain insight into the complicated nature of women and abortion. I've thought about how I want to open this series, and I've decided that I'm going to start it by telling you my story. And I've thought about, how do I want to tell you my story? Do I just kind of want to, you know, talk about it and kind of go through it? Or do I want to read it to you in first person as though I'm there and you're there with me? And I decided to do it that way. So I'm going to, I wrote my story and I'm going to read it to you as though it's happening in real time. So with that said, here's my story. They wheel me away, and I'm lifted onto a surgical bed. My arms are spread out, reaching, 
palms up. I'm so cold. They give me a heavy blanket and tell me to start counting backwards from 100. 99, 98, the end. It's spring of 1996, and I, yes I, the non-ribbon girl, try out and, barely, make the cheerleading squad. I'm not very good, though, so I'm only able to cheer for the middle school team, even though I'm a ninth grader. A couple of my friends make fun of me when I wear a ribbon in my ponytail the day after I make the team. They think it's funny that I'm a cheerleader now. It is so unlike me, and truth be told, I don't know why I tried out for the team. I guess I just wanted a change. I guess I just want to belong. I'm still kind of new to this Georgia town. I've been living here with my mom for two years now, and I've never really fit in being the Yankee. There's just one problem that abruptly announces itself while I'm eating Fruit Loops in my room before school. I don't yet know this problem, but I know I'm throwing up my breakfast. And my period is late. Jason, my boyfriend, and I drive to the store in the car my dad drove down to me on my 16th birthday. He gets me a pregnancy test. I take it, and we drive to the church parking lot up the road from my house to see the results. Pregnant. I throw the test out the window. Jason jumps out of the car and goes and gets it. This can't be happening. Heat is filling up my chest and my ears. I look at my hands. They speak for me as they wobble. Unsteady. Pressure is filling my head. I have to go home. The health clinic is huge and there are so many people. I drive here the day after throwing the pregnancy test out the window. After I see the doctor and he confirms my pregnancy, I am led to the lady with the WIC forms. Yes, we'll be needing assistance. I'm going to have a baby at 16. After getting home from the clinic, the phone rings and my mom and I pick up at the same time. The woman's voice on the other end says, This is so-and-so calling from the health clinic. Is this a good time? I say no and hang up. But it's too late. My mom heard the woman. She calls me to her room where I sit on her bed and tell her I'm pregnant. She just stands there, frozen. And then she checks out, as though I didn't even tell her. That night I call my grandmother, Julie, my dad's mom, who I was so close to, and who sends me money every month just for fun. I tell her I'm pregnant, and she says she'll have it taken care of. The sound of the dial tone tells me She isn't pleased that I tell her I'm going to keep the baby. Next, I call my dad, and he is so gentle and so kind, and he says words that I'm kind of shocked by. He says, maybe it will be fun to have a little one running around. Okay, it's all going to be okay. Jason and I will get married and get a little apartment, and we'll start a family. It will be hard, but doable. We are having a baby. Just for context, my parents were divorced before I was a year old. When I was around three, my dad got custody of me. You'll be able to read about the details in my book, The Complicated Heart, which comes out in September. For now, what you need to know is this. I lived with my dad until I was 14, and then I moved in with my mom because I felt like a teen girl should live with her mother. I loved my mom. I used to spend the summers with her, per the custody agreement, and those summers were my favorite I always thought that I wanted to be just like my mom when I grew up, or Madonna. So at 14, I moved in with my mom, and it wasn't long after that I discovered that she was an alcoholic and a mean one. I tried confronting her, staging an intervention of sorts, but it didn't go well. 
she just laughed at me. Her life was wrapped up with her own junk, and her and her alcoholic 20-year-old boyfriend who lived with us, they had their own world. I was on my own. So I found a boyfriend whose mom was a crack addict, and we became each other's safe place. And of course we had sex, because that's what you did if you had a boyfriend. I never knew anything different. And so I got pregnant. And in the small town I was living in, this was not uncommon. So having the baby and getting a trailer and figuring it out was the only option I could see. It wasn't until I flew back to Pennsylvania the summer of my pregnancy, now that I lived with my mom, I spent summers with my dad, that other options were on the table. I remember a friend of my dad's whose wife couldn't have children, and I told my dad that I could give my baby to them or someone who couldn't have babies. Somehow that was dismissed. After my dad picks me up from the airport and we get home, he tells me that he hasn't told my stepmom yet, my Catholic stepmom, my very pro-life stepmom, and he tells me I should tell her. My stepmom and I do not have a good relationship. I have never felt like she has liked me, and it's just always been tumultuous. I sit on the carpeted steps in front of the bathroom where she's doing her nightly routine, and I say the words I have to keep saying. I'm pregnant. I'm pregnant. I'm pregnant. She hugs me. It's awkward. Of course, all of this is awkward because I'm 16 and pregnant. The next day, I see my grandmother at the family car dealership, the one who said she'd have it taken care of. She won't look at me. We've always been close, but now it's like I don't even exist. I'm three months pregnant now, and I'm sick all day. I have a job as a cashier, and every hour or so, I run to the bathroom to throw up. Will it ever end? The pressure and loneliness and sickness is becoming too much. My body is so weak and I feel like I'm fading away. My stepmom wants the baby to raise as her own, as my brother or sister. This is so weird to me and I can't even imagine it. I'm willing to give the baby up for adoption, but not to her. Then there's this whole other bizarre scenario my family suggests where I'm sent to New Jersey to live with an aunt until I have the baby. I feel like I'm in another universe. I'm just here like... Does anyone even care what I think? It's exhausting fighting for something no one believes in or supports you in. Jason was in Georgia, and my one and only friend who knew about the baby had no idea how to talk to me about it. I'm invisible. I have no one. My mom's mom, my grandma, drives to Pennsylvania from Georgia to see me. She sits next to me on my bed, and she puts her arm around me, and she says, Honey... If you have an abortion, you can have a life. You can go to prom. I don't know the last time someone talked kindly to me or even touched me. Yes, I will have the abortion. I don't care. I want to be back in the fold. I call my grandmother, Julie, and ask her to have it taken care of. The night before the abortion, I hold my small but growing belly and tell my baby, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. I cry myself to sleep. On July 11th, 1996, I go into the hospital three months pregnant, and when I come out, I'm empty. My dad is the one who takes me to the hospital. Yes, the hospital, not the local abortion clinic. The doctor suggested the hospital so I could be put under completely and not feel a thing. At the hospital, I don't check in under my name, Sarah Clark, but instead under the name Sandy Charles. 
So I didn't have an abortion that day. Sandy Charles did. No one would know the family's secret. My dad held my hand and never left my side except for the actual procedure. Afterward, he took me to my grandmother Julie's house to stay. I had to stay with her because my stepmom hated me at this point for choosing to have an abortion. I slept for two days, and when I woke up, I went into the kitchen, and there was my grandmother Julie, the one who wouldn't talk to me before, but who was now serving me toast with a smile. We never talked about the abortion. You can hear part two of my story tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Complicated Heart Podcast. Loved this episode? Head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Reviews are how people know if they should listen or not. So please, if you like the show, take a minute and give it a review. Thank you so much. If you want to know more, check out sarahmay.com forward slash the Complicated Heart Podcast. See you next time.